Hey, it's Bea. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of A Twist of Fate. Before we get started, please be warned that this episode covers domestic abuse and contains some graphic language. If you or someone you know is a victim of abuse, please call 800-799-SAFE to reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline in the United States. Now, on to the episode. Liz thought that she had it all. The perfect life with a perfect new job and a perfect boyfriend. Until one night, she and her boyfriend went out drinking, only for her to wake up the next day with blood all over her pillow, unable to remember what happened. She had been violently attacked. This episode discusses the harsh reality of abuse, the fear of speaking up, and the learnings that come with the experience. This is Liz's story. All right. Hey, Liz. It's so good to see you. Happy Friday. Hope you're having a good Friday, a good wellness in day, and are looking forward to the weekend. Happy Friday, my dear friend. It is so good to see you again. I've missed you. I have missed you too. It's been a minute. Okay, so I first really wanted to start by saying thank you. I know your story in particular is heavy. It's sensitive. I feel like uh, a lot of these types of stories bring back some not great memories. So I just really wanted to thank you for creating the time today and creating the space and being so willing to, to share your story. Um, I know it's something that you uh, are passionate about and, and do so outside of work, you know, trying to share and lift up others who have gone through similar situations as you. So, you know, I just wanted to say thanks. And I think you're doing such an amazing job doing that. Well, thank you. I mean, and I also want to thank you for giving a platform for this. There's been so much societal stigma around what we're going to talk about today. And there's so many layers of blame and accusation that goes into it, into the wrong places. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, but I love that you're creating a safe space to be able to have these conversations and not only have the conversations, but encourage to keep having the conversations. Exactly. That's that's what we're here for. We want to create the momentum for and the, you know, encourage people to speak out and, and speak up about their stories. And, and I feel like you're doing amazing work being able to help shine a light on some of that stuff. So, okay, let's get started. Can you start by first describing your relationship with your ex-boyfriend? How did you meet? And what were the early days like? Sure. We met on a dating app. The only thing that I was doing at that point in my life was going to the gym and going to the work. And there was no way I was going to combine either one of those into my personal life. Mm -hmm. So we met on Hinge. Hmm. We started chatting on Hinge and we had our first date downtown Walnut Creek at one of my favorite little taco joints. And conversation was flowing. We just hit it off right away. I still remember what I was wearing that day. I was wearing these little white pants and this little green and blue top. He looked super cute. He, you know, had these sparkly eyes and mm. super handsome guy. We would call him a pretty boy. If we were mm -hmm. to go and walk down the street and point him out, we'd be like, oh, pretty boy. Yeah. But it was, it was 
it was really nice. And he was the first person I had seriously dated after my divorce. So I was being really intentional on the type of person that I wanted to meet. I didn't want somebody who had children because I had my own child. And so I was wanting to make sure that he was my primary focus. I wanted somebody that had a good job, that had their own place, that had their stuff together. Mm-hmm. And as he and I started talking more and more, he had a great job. We drove the same car. I mean, it just, everything seemed really great. And he got along really well with my friends. My friends loved him. They thought he was a super handsome. He was funny. He had a great sense of humor. He seemed like he treated me well. And they were really excited about that after my divorce. Not that my divorce was bad, but you know, you want to have a good experience when you move into what phase two of your life is going to look like. And so in the beginning, it was really great. He and my son bonded over basketball. Uh, Cameron was big into the Warriors, was on a basketball team. This guy had been the star of his college's basketball team in in high school days. Uh So there was just this like instant vibe between the two of them that was really, really great. And they would joke together. They wore onesies. Like they each had Warriors onesies that they would wear to watch Warriors games. There was so much good stuff. He had a cute little dog. I had a big little dog and, you know, everything was really great. And so after we were dating for nine, 10 months, he was like, you know, I think this is, this is heading in a, in a forever place. And in order for it to head into a forever place, I think we should live together for, you know, six or seven months. And then if it it's going well, then, then we should be talking about getting married. And mm-hmm. so We moved in together in the winter of 2017. Moved in, he had a great, beautiful house. Like my kid had his whole back half of the house was dedicated to him. He had his own space and his room and little ensuite, the whole situation. And we were going back and forth between work and everything was really great. In the summer of 2017, I started contracting for Workday and it was super exciting because mm. Workday was a dream company for me. I'd always wanted to work there and I wanted Workday to fall in love with me as much as I had fallen in love with Workday. And he was my number one supporter. He was like, you've got it, babe. Like, how could anybody not love you? You're the best. And in October of 2017, Workday fell in love with me too. And it became a full-time job. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a very rosy picture to say the least. I feel like hearing about the relationship between your ex-boyfriend and your kid, you know, that really is is something that stands out because especially after a divorce and, and having a child, I feel like that's what really is hard about coming back into a relationship and really trying to merge your life with another person's life when kids are involved. And so that must have really made you feel super confident that your kid liked them, your friends liked him. So, you know, that's, it really adds to the story, I feel. And, you know, hearing about all the success you were having at work too, and and getting a job at Workday. That's great. So, It sounds like, you know, in the early days, you had a really, really strong relationship. It moved relatively quickly, I I, I guess some would say, in terms of moving in together and then starting to think more seriously about the future after a couple of months of living together. So as you're living together, take me back to the day when things took a turn um, for the worse. Can you describe 
what happened in as much detail as you're comfortable sharing. Yep. So what's very interesting about the timing of our conversation is this is the one year anniversary. October 20th, 2017 is when I received my full-time offer from Workday. And it was the next day when the event itself took place. It was a Saturday, just like tomorrow's a Saturday. (gasps) And he was like, let's go out and celebrate. Let's go and well, you know, call your friends, call my friends. We're going to go celebrate. And so we went into downtown Walnut Creek. We went to all of our favorite places. We first went and had Chinese food and like all his friends came. And then we went next door upstairs to the bar and everybody was drinking and having fun and dancing. One thing that stands out to me that night was that there was a woman there who was completely drunk out of her gourd, just mm. like having the best time of her life, not caring about anything, and was feeling rather amorous that night. She kept trying to come over and kiss me, and I kept being like, yo, like I'm not into this. I'm here with him. I kept going over to him to make sure that he knew I wasn't into it. And he was like, no, babe, I get it. Like, you're hot. You're beautiful. It's fine. Mm. I felt hot and beautiful that night. I loved the outfit I was wearing that night. <laughs> I felt good. Mm. And so... After that, we actually ended up going to one of my girlfriend's house. She was having a Halloween party. And so I stayed, I stopped drinking after we had Chinese food and he was taking shots and hanging out and like whooping it up. And that's awesome. That's fine. I said, I'd be the designated driver, no problem. Mm -hmm. And so we went over to my friend's house and everybody else was dressed in costume. We were just dressed up for a night out and she was dressed as Wonder Woman. It was really cute. We hung out there for a few hours, dancing, hanging out with everybody that was at the party. And shortly after midnight, she was closing down the party. And I remember saying to him, hey, babe, like, I'll drive home. And he, I remember he just got really mad at me and was like, I've, I've got it. I'll, I'll fucking drive home. And I was like, OK, like, OK. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing I remember. The next thing I remember was waking up with blood just pouring down my face. I, unbeknownst to me at the time, but to help set the scene, he had shattered my nose. He had shattered both of my cheekbones. My bottom lip had a six or seven centimeter tear from the top of my lip down to where your lip connects to your chin. So it was like I had three lips. So I just was covered in blood and bruised and and obviously very battered. It's estimated that he hit me with a closed fist 12 to 15 times based off the damage that was done to my person. We were pulled over to the side of a road somewhere between Walnut Creek and Pittsburgh off a back road. And I just remember him screaming at me and taunting me. And I was so disoriented that I actually wasn't even sure who he was at one point. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I can share this with you is because he had the audacity to record the attack. And so later that video was shared and you can see my disorientation. You can see the damage that had been done to me. I don't really remember what happened much between being at the side of the road and getting back to our home. And to be very clear with you, because I can see the question on your face, my son was not home. He was not with us. He was with his father. There was no injury or anything happening to him. This only happened to me. We got back to the home 
And again, fragmented memories here, but to share what I can, I do remember being thrown into the shower fully clothed. I remember him pulling out my hair extensions so that there were chunks of hair missing. I remember somehow getting unclothed and crawling on the floor in our walk-in closet. I remember seeing what had previously been a beautiful white lace bra was fully covered in red blood. Oh my God. I remember him dressing me. I remember being on the floor in the bedroom with my beloved dog laying on top of me. And my biggest fear, I remember at that point, was that he was going to kill my dog. And then I remember being in the bed. At some point, he had put an ice pack over my eyes. And again, unbeknownst to me, was recording again. And during this time, he was saying, what, what was I going to do? Was I going to call the police? And at that point, all I wanted to do was see my son again. And so I told him, I would tell them I fell. I didn't know who did it. I would protect him, that I loved him. We would get through this. It would be fine. All I wanted to do was survive the night. At some point, he put something in my mouth, gave me some water, and told me to swallow. And I said, what was that? And he said, sleeping pills. And that's the last thing I remember. He had, in fact, given me two Ambien to make me forget what had happened. I remember as I was starting to doze off, him telling me that he loved me and that he was sorry that it had happened and he didn't mean it and we would be okay. When I woke up in the morning, I thought it was a really bad dream. I had been drugged. And it wasn't until I saw the blood on the pillow next to me that I was like, this isn't a dream. I remember getting up and going and looking in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself. I remember turning around and looking at him lying in bed through the slits of my eyes and saying to him, I think you broke my nose. Not angry, not accusatory, just like confused. And I remember he looked at me and just only opened one eye and he said, nah, you'll be fine. Wow. And I said, no, I I really think you broke my nose. He said, I'll go to the store later and I'll get some of that glue and we'll glue your lip back together. Oh my God. I said, no, I think I need to go to the emergency room. And he didn't even look at me. He just closed his eyes and said, you can do whatever you want to do. I got in my car and I called my girlfriend. I said, are you alone? Because she was dating somebody at the time. She said, yeah. I said, I'm going to FaceTime you because I didn't even have words. And I FaceTimed her and she started screaming and said, come to my house. I'll take you to the hospital. And she did. She also was the bravest human being I know because knowing what had happened to me, she said, I'm going to go and get your dog. She was my dog sitter too, as, as well as my best friend. And so she put on a brave face, put on running clothes, went over to his house and said, hey, I'm going to go take Finn for a run. And he was like, okay, great. Have you talked to Liz today? She's like, no, nah, but she told me I could come and get Finn anytime I wanted. So I just figured I'd come and get him. <gasps> yeah, she's sleeping. No. No. Oh my gosh. I spent the next 18 hours in the hospital. Hmm. I will tell you that lip that he was just going to glue back together in the end took about five surgeries to put back together. So it it looks like what you can see today. My nose was, has been repaired twice. 
Is that right? No, three times now. It was way more than just something that medical glue could put back together again. Of course. Well, on that note, you look amazing. Beautiful, <laughs> gorgeous, fresh as ever. So that reconstructive surgery worked. I and have a friend if you need one. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I first off, that was very emotional and, and painful to listen to. So you probably saw my face, even though I, I heard bits of the story in the past as we were, you know, preparing for this podcast recording. It just never gets any easier to listen to. So I'm sure it also, you know, doesn't feel great to to have to speak about it again. But, you know, one thing that stood out, too, was the fact that he recorded everything. And I remember you telling me at one point that it was to blackmail you, essentially, and and keep you from telling or, or saying anything. But, you know, crazily enough, like, of course, that's going to be evidence used against him if anyone else got their hands on it. So just the fa- like, it almost seems like even though he knew that that was a risk, you know, in a weird and sick way, recording something like that just seems a little bit like, oh, I want to remember this or, oh, this is, you know, giving me some sick pleasure. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to this in a second. But the fact that you were in so much fear and, and to his face said, I would never say anything. I can't even imagine what must have been going through your mind at that point, right? And even getting to the hospital and eventually having to have those conversations, like I feel like you would never really know unless you're in that kind of situation, how you would respond and how you would react because you're acting out of fear, out of self-preservation, survival. There's so many instincts that are kicking in. So I just wanted to share that as you were talking those are some of the things that came up for me with your with your story. So, whew, okay, let's, let's both take a deep breath. <laughs> I want to go back to that moment when you had woken up and seen what had happened to you. Mm-hmm. Like, what did that feel like? And what exactly went through your mind once you had the realization of, oh my gosh, this just happened to me. And this person right next to me did this. And this is the person that I've been with for however many months. And just, you know, I have this great relationship with like, what was going through your mind? Obviously, I couldn't believe that this had happened. That was the first thing Mm. was just utter disbelief, not just because of the drugs that I had been given, but how could this happen to me of Mm -hmm. all people? Like Mm -hmm. I'm perfect. I have a perfect life. I have a perfect boyfriend. I have a perfect relationship. Mm -hmm. This is so why, why me? And again, to this day, I don't actually recall the conversation itself that took place that led to this. I don't think I'll ever know. And I'm told by my therapist that that's the mind's way of protecting me. What I am aware of was the ridiculous amount of shame, the amount of fear, the regret of having to tell my mom and my dad, Mm -hmm. what was I going to tell my son? those were the hardest things for me in all of this. Um, But I knew that I had to leave. I had to get out of that house and I had to get somewhere where I could get help. All of those compound feelings and emotions and thoughts were going through my mind at the same time. And the priority, the paramount priority was getting out of that house. Yeah. And I, to this day, I still have no idea how and why he let me leave, but he did. 
because I guarantee you that had I stayed that day, he would have killed me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no question in my mind. Wow. And not only did he let you leave, he let you leave by yourself. Not like, hey, like, you know, let's get you some help. Let me go with you and watch everything and monitor what you say and all of that. He let you go by yourself and, you know, with a friend too, who saw what had happened to you. So yes, definitely surprising. But when it came to the moment, let's say in the hospital or maybe shortly after that, where it was time to decide whether or not to alert the right folks, the police or, you know, the nurse or doctor taking care of you on what had happened. What were you thinking? Did you hesitate at all? Did you consider all your different options or was it a clear decision that you made in the moment? It was a clear decision I made as soon as I got in my car. Okay. There was no question in my mind that he was going to get away with this. Mm -hmm. One thing I, I can tell you is that far too often men do get away with this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that I was able to escape and to get out, I will never forget when I walked up to, I was in the emergency room with my friend they called my number and they took one look at my face and they knew. Mm-hmm. And they said, honey, did you fall down? <laughs> they provided me the safety as health advocates. Honey, did you fall down? Because I was with my friend. What if I wasn't ready to tell my friend? I said, yes, I did. And they immediately knew that I knew and I knew that they knew. And they took me back. And when at least this hospital for this situation, they took me in a very quiet place away from everyone else. They had specific nurse advocates come in to work with me. And assess the damage between the x-rays, the CAT scans, trying to sew my lip back up, doing what they could in the moment to get me as comfortable as possible. And I remember them asking me, do you want to press charges? And there was no question. Yes. Mm -hmm. I had to wait hours and hours and hours. Unbeknownst to me, which I learned later, I had tried to call 911 when we were pulled over to the side of the road. Wow. Okay. And he had hit the phone out of my hand, but the call was still going. Wow. So the 911 operators not only could hear his voice and my screaming, they heard him beat me (gasps) and they came to try to find me and they couldn't because he left. Oh my gosh. Because they had that call. And when I told them I had made that call, they were able to put all of it together through all the different pings of where my cell phone had pinged to the location of where we had been to understand that I actually wasn't in Walnut Creek anymore. That part of the assault had happened in Pittsburgh. So while they had Walnut Creek cops initially come and begin the interview, when they figured out who I was and that I was that Jane Doe they'd been looking for all night, they transferred it over to the Pittsburgh police who then came and took the report and began the process for me. Wow. That bit of the story I did not know about. And that almost feels like a movie, like, like a crime scene movie. That is horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like watching that terrifying episode of, of law and order that you're like, that can't really happen. It does. Oh my gosh. 
It does. Did you, did they allow you to listen to the recording or no? Oh God, no, no. And I, never, I mean, yeah, they've told me don't watch the videos. I have mm-hmm. them. I have a copy of them, um, but I've never watched it. They've, mm-hmm. they have a copy of the call. I've never listened to it. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about why later. I, I don't, I don't need to go through that again. I've lived yeah. it once. I don't need to again. Uh, the best part was that they found Jane Doe and they could put a name to the, to the call and actually proceed the way the law allows. I mean, talk about like bulletproof evidence. That yeah. is just shocking to hear. Yeah. Okay. And so maybe just going, you know, moving forward with the story, what happened to you was absolutely horrific. Like any anyone can agree to that. And I just cannot even imagine how many other women have had to go through something like this, right? And so as horrible as it was, I feel like this type of experience really strengthens you. It makes you a, a different type of person after you have to go through something like this in your life. And so what would you say were your biggest learnings coming out of this experience? I love this question. I had to face a lot of harsh realities about myself that I had never wanted to acknowledge until this Mm -hmm. happened. I, before this, consider myself to have been a very selfish human being. Mm -hmm. I really did rely on my looks. I had modeled, I had done films, I had done commercials, I was on billboards, I was modeling for websites. I knew I was a pretty girl. He knew I was a pretty girl. That's why he wanted to go out with me was because I looked good with him Mm. and he looked good with me. And I had to come to a realization very quickly after this event that it was not about what I looked like on the outside because that can go away in an instant. And it did. What really mattered is what I am made of. What is my core DNA? Who am I when I wake up first thing in the morning? Because it's not all that pretty makeup and it's not all the curly hair. It's that first moment your eyes open and those first thoughts that come to you. That is what is most important, not all that other stuff. It has nothing to do with your popularity, how much money you make, your title, your job, your friends. It's how you give back to the world. And the choice to be able to give back to the world. And I have made it priority number one, other than being a good mom and a good partner, to give back to the world as much as I possibly can in every single avenue that I can. And I would not have done that before this. That's really powerful. And, you know, speaks so much to the growth that came out of it, the self-reflection and a shift in perspective that a lot of these life altering events can give you. Um, Those are all like such positive things to come out of this. So I'm glad that (laughs) even after this horrible event happened to you, you're able to take something away from it as, as great and as positive as that. Okay. So wrapping up here, uh, what is one message you'd like listeners to take away from hearing your story? you can only take one, no matter, no matter what anybody says to you, no matter what anybody thinks, 
what they put upon you. If something like this has ever happened to you, it was never your fault. And whereas I understand it may be hard to walk away, you deserve to walk away. I'm not telling you it's easy. It's damn hard. But you deserve to walk away and to live your life being who you want to be. And there are many ways to do that. There are many Mm -hmm. people and agencies and foundations that can help you do that. And I'm going to tell you it's not easy, but I'm going to implore you not to ever give up. Because when you give up, they win. So don't allow them to win any more from you than they did in that one moment. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you so much for sharing, Liz. This was moving, powerful, hard and painful at times. And so I just really wanted to close by saying thank you so much again for really being able to share your story in as much detail as you did and being able to elevate and highlight some of the the reality of relationships that we don't often get to hear about, truly. You know, I think a lot of these types of situations happen behind closed doors and because of all the shame and fear that are connected to it, it's very hard for people to share. And so the more that we can have these stories out in the open and have dialogue and conversation about it, I think the more we can help those who might feel stuck, who might feel ashamed, who might feel scared because they know that they're not alone. So I really wanted to just say thank you for that. Thank you. All right. You're listening to A Twist of Fate. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.